Good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. My throat's a little, little weak today, so I'm going to have to bear with me if I have to drink a little water or, or cough. You might want to move. Okay. Anyway, uh, struggling a little bit today, but we'll get through it. Hey, we're so glad you are here as we continue in our series called Fresh Faith. Last week, Preston, our student pastor, kicked off this series, and he brought a wonderful message. If you were here, you know that. If you were, were not with us, um, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and check out part one. I'm proud of Preston. He did a, a great job. Hey, let me ask you a question as we begin today. Anybody's computer or phone ever freeze? You know what I'm talking about? You just look at your phone like, oh my goodness. Or your computer just sits there and spins and it won't move. About a month ago, I was watching a few video lectures for a class and could not get the videos to load correctly. I tried a couple different browsers, but they wouldn't work. It was the first time I had attempted to watch videos on this specific website, and I was getting, to be honest with you, a little ticked that uh, the professor would require students to watch these videos on a website that couldn't even hold the traffic of a few students at the same time. I sloshed through the first video, sloshed through the second video, and I was thinking, boy, I hope I don't have a whole lot of these videos. It's going to take me forever to get through this. Well, when I got my assignments for the next week, I realized I had several more videos I was going to have to watch. So I called Josh, our in-house, you know, computer fixer-upper, and uh, he, he had some solutions. But before he could even give me the first one, it just like clicked. I just, I had this genius idea. I was like, one thing I haven't done is restarted my computer. Like, maybe I should just restart it and see what happens. I was like, are you serious? Like, this could be my problem the whole time, and here I'm upset with the professor, and I worked my way all last week going through all this stuff, trying to get it to work, and, and I restarted it, and the problem was solved. The problem was mine the whole time, mine alone. I needed a good old-fashioned refreshing of my almost worn-out computer. My computer had become bogged down. Too many programs running in the background, not enough RAM. I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but it didn't work. Hopefully, without me being too, too direct, you can make the connection between a computer bogging down and our lives bogging down. I can't tell you how many times I've become bogged down with just the stuff of life. You know the stuff of life, right? Paying bills, kids, marriage, wounds from your past, leading people, doubts, fears, sins. And when you're in that, those moments where you're, you're just kind of spinning, you know, no matter what you try. Because when my computer was spinning, I was like, you know, I need to clean it. Do I need to, you know, update it? Like I was looking for all kinds of things. Nothing seems to work in those moments. In fact, you can come to church sometimes and sit here and listen to a sermon and go, yeah, it was, it was good. Or, you know, they sing your favorite song and you feel something a little bit. But you go out of here and you're right back into the spinning mode. It just doesn't seem to work. And at that times in my life when, I'm, when I've been there, nothing seemed to work. I go through prayer, I go through scripture study, I go to church, I listen to sermons, listen to podcasts, and nothing seems to work. So this series is about helping us sort through the stuff of life and the stuff of religion that sometimes causes us to freeze up or just start spinning and we just, we can't see progress. And it's learning how to restart. It's learning how to have a refresher, if you will. And here's what we believe as a staff, is what I believe as a pastor. One of the best ways to refresh yourself, restart everything, is to return to a clear understanding of what Christianity is all about. 
Now, when I say what Christianity is all about, I don't mean the simplified, almost insulting version of Christianity that I grew up with, which is, hey, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight and stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom? And what are you going to say? Because you say, well, why, is, why do you say that's insulting or why do you say that's oversimplified? Well, here's what I've learned after all these years. Christianity is really not so much about getting you into heaven after you die. That's what I thought it was all about. I thought Christianity basically was, hey, let me show you what you need to do so that when you die one day, you'll go to heaven. That's not really what Christianity is about. That is an oversimplified, extremely shallow, and to be honest with you, boring version of Christianity. Christianity is much more about getting heaven into you while you live. And that is an entirely different way of looking at everything. And there is a world of difference between those two things. And one of the best ways to refresh our faith, as I mentioned, is to return to an understanding of what Christianity really is about and to drink long and deep from the gospel. And the gospel is the announcement of God's kingdom in the here and now, and we are a part of it. Now, as I said, Preston kicked this off last week, and I'm kind of already just, you know, I'm joining an already flowing stream as he started it. Now, before I launch into part two, and when we get going, it's going to get deep, and we're going to give you a lot of stuff, okay? So before we get into that, a few weeks ago, Preston gave me a book to read, and it's, uh, it's called Seek First by Dr. Jeremy Treat, wonderful book. And when he handed the book to me, he said something along the lines of, hey, I really think you should use some of this material for your message which was a nice way of saying the material contained in this book is so much better than any of your lame messages. <laughs> so when you get to your part of the series, uh, Dr. Treat Stuff will really help you. So, so I, I'm going to use a lot of it because it is really good. Dr. Treat's book, Seek First, is, is good. So I stole a bunch of stuff from him because he just did a, a masterful job at outlining what the kingdom is about. So if you have a Christian library or any library, and you don't have this book, you should pick it up, read it. It's just really, really good stuff. All right, let's begin. And I'm going to begin with a rather deep quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and I think this is a, a beautiful quote. He said, a king who dies on a cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. <laughs> Folks, many of us Christians seem to promote a kingdom without a king or a church without Jesus at the helm leading it. Too many churches are nothing more than social clubs. It's just a group of people who are figuring out how to get through life better. That's it. Kind of a self-help group, and they just happen together on a Sunday morning, and we're all just trying to help one another navigate through life. You don't even have to mention Jesus. You don't have to teach about Jesus. You don't have to talk about Jesus. It's just, hey, let me help you get through your marriage. Let me help you get through life. Let me help you combat depression. Let me help you kind of feel better about everything going on around you. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago and we got into the Easter message, one of the things that I said very emphatically in that message is that many Christians in many churches, and folks, I am not pointing fingers. I'm not judging you. I'm not throwing any rocks because I've been guilty of this. I can't even tell you how many times. But many Christians in churches could function entirely without Jesus and basically nothing would change. And that's a problem. That's a problem. So if a church can function without a focus on 
and an allegiance to Jesus, then it is not a church. And if a Christian can function without a focus on and an allegiance to Jesus, he or she is not a Christian. Listen very carefully to me. Praying does not make us Christians. Being born in the USA does not make us Christians. Saying we're Christians does not make us Christians. What's a Christian, Scott? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. That is a person who has dedicated his or her life to walking after Jesus. A person in the process of aligning his behaviors, attitudes, values, and politics to Jesus. That is what a Christian is. It is a person who has stood up and said, I'm going to follow Christ. And a local church is a group of Jesus followers who are aspiring, teaching, challenging, and helping one another align themselves to Jesus. Jesus is to be at the center. Jesus is to be at the helm. We are to follow him, emulate him, imitate him, become like him. That's what Christianity is about. It is a group of people, a church, from all walks of life who are committed to one another to learn what it means to follow, emulate, imitate, think, and behave like Jesus. So, fresh faith begins with a re-emphasis on following Jesus. So, what I want to do today, to the best of my ability, is kind of reach in some of your lives, because this is going to affect some of you very directly. I want to reach into your, your life, if this affects you, and push restart. Reach in there and say, okay, let's just turn everything off and let's turn it back on and let's get things aligned back up again. Because some of us sitting in this room, some of us watching online, slowly have got ourselves off the path of following Jesus. We're following some other things and we wrap it in religious garb. We call it, you know, part, being part of God's kingdom or whatever, but it is a long way from following Christ. So that's what I want to do today. But, 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 there's always a but, right? But, as Dr. Treat writes, <clears throat> the problem is there are many versions of Jesus out there. So which one do we follow? 2 Corinthians 11.4 tells us that about 20 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus, there were already several versions of Jesus floating around. In fact, if you read the writings of Paul, when you get to this part here, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, listen, if, if somebody else comes to you and presents a different Jesus than the Jesus that I've presented to you, that the apostles have presented to you, get away from that person. That person is hurting you. That person is leading you astray. Listen, 20 years after the literal resurrection of Jesus, there's already false versions of Jesus floating around. So if 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, there are false Jesuses floating around, how many more false Jesuses do you think are floating around in today's world? Now let me give you three common false Jesuses or false versions of Jesus. Treat mentions this in his book. Here's one that's very common. The cosmic vending machine Jesus. That is a version of Jesus that basically says, listen, if you put in the right change and you turn the dial, you'll get out of Jesus what it is you're trying to get from him. It's basically, if you'll do good works, go to church on Sunday, you know, pay your tithe, 
offer your prayers, then overall, over time, if you're consistent with that, good things will happen to you. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've been in town, whether it's at Walmart or Food Line or just out and about with my family, and I'll happen to see somebody you know, that maybe hadn't been in church in a while and they always seem to feel guilty. By the way, if, if, if I see you in town and you hadn't been here in a while, you do not have to feel guilty. Don't act all weird about it. I don't even know if you're, some people tell me, I know I hadn't been in church in weeks. And I'm like, really? I didn't even know that. I didn't even, I hadn't, yeah, I had paid attention to that. And now you're just confessing everything. It's like, okay, whatever. But anyway, listen, you don't have to say a word, okay? Just, just be cool about it. But they'll say something like this, man, you know, my life is falling apart. I really need to get back in church. And I think it's coming from a good place, but somehow in their mind, they think that their life is falling apart because they haven't been in church in a few weeks. And if they'll get back in church, then somehow everything in life will line back up again and good things will start happening for them again. They see Jesus as this cosmic vending machine. You put in the money, you put in the time, you put in the church attendance, pull the lever, turn the knob, and good things will come to you. That is a false version of who Jesus is. Another one is the divine cheerleader Jesus. This is the Jesus who constantly encourages you to live your best life right now. All good things ought to happen to you, and I'm on your side. In fact, I'm on the sidelines cheering you on. This Jesus has pom-poms in his hand, not nail prints. He has pom-poms in his hands. He's always wanting you to succeed. He's always wanting you to be happy. He just wants you to be at peace. He just wants you to be comforted. He wants you to win in life. Another very popular version of Jesus is the heavenly firefighter Jesus. This is the Jesus who rescues you when you're in trouble. You don't really have necessarily a great relationship with him. He's just there, though, when you need him. It's like he's always ready to answer the 911 call. All you got to do is call him up when you're in a mess and he'll come running because he is at your service whenever you are in a mess in life. He's sitting by the phone. Folks, we could probably give you 30 false versions of Jesus floating around. The real Jesus isn't any of those three or 27 others or 57 others. It's why Paul warned them, do not listen or follow another Jesus. So Scott, what about the real Jesus? The Jesus revealed to us in the Gospels and confirmed through Orthodox Christian theology throughout the last 2,000 years is a loving, gracious, and just king. He's not a vending machine. He's not a cheerleader. He's not a firefighter. He is a loving, gracious, and just king of a kingdom, and he reigns supreme over it. And you and I are a part of that kingdom. And this king is not the kind of king who sits back on his throne, arms folded, sighing in frustration until we get our act together. No, 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 no. He is an active ruler. He pursues you. He acts in your life. In fact, he initiates things in your life. He responds to you. He can speak with you. He is an active, pursuing, involved king of a kingdom, and you are part of that kingdom. He is a living king. He is a living ruler. He is a living commander. He is a leader 
of all that is. And in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, I wish I would have got better into this in the first service. So hopefully you guys will get kind of the improved version of this, okay? When Jesus came and announced the good news of the kingdom, the people who were hearing that language at that time knew exactly what was being said. We don't get it as much as they do because we think of kingdom, we have too many movies in our mind and you know, we think of princes and princesses and you know, we think of you know, these golden thrones and horses and knights and all the kind of things that kind of go along with the image of a kingdom and it just doesn't seem to fit with Jesus. But when Jesus came and announced the good news of the kingdom, the people in the first century who were hearing it understood it much more clearly than we do now. The good news of the kingdom is not, listen very carefully, the good news of the kingdom is not, hey, if you will believe, you don't have to go to hell. Okay. And like, that's it? That's the good news? <laughs> that is a very shallow, thin understanding of what the good news is. The kingdom of God is good news, listen, because it is announcing a king who reigns with grace and justice and fairness and love and authority and righteousness. And you and I are a part of that kingdom. Now watch this. During this period of time when Jesus went out and announced the good news of the kingdom, when Jesus was announcing God's kingdom is at hand, he said, God's kingdom is here, repent, for God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is here, repent, for God's kingdom is here. He was going around announcing that. At this time, people would go out and announce when a new king had been enthroned. But here's what normally would happen. Most kings would send their messengers out to let people know that a new king has been put in position of authority and rulership and enthroned, and they would destroy every single person who ever rebelled against this new king. A new king would take all the rebels and immediately slaughter them or torture them so other people could see them and let them serve as a warning that this is what the new king will do to anybody who rebels. Often, those who rose up against the king and tried to overthrow him or resisted his kingship were convicted of treason and would be crucified. Sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people were crucified at the same time. In fact, if you go back in history and study, you'll realize that they would crucify people. And sometimes in Rome, they would crucify so many, they would line a street with people on both sides. If you can imagine telephone poles that are close together, they would line the streets with people being crucified. So when you walked into the city, it was a warning before you ever get inside the city, this is what happens to anybody who resists the king. Gruesome. But Jesus comes with good news that he is king and his kingdom is alive and well and you and I are a part of it. And in this kingdom, he does not torture the rebels. He invites the rebels to sit down at the table. He doesn't torture the rebels. He invites them to come and become part of his family. 
He even allows his enemies to sit at the table. He would sit with his enemies. He would sit with the very ones who rebelled against him, didn't believe in the things of God. He was a completely different kind of king. It was good news. In the first century, when a new king was enthroned, watch this. As I mentioned a moment ago, his messengers would go around as far as his kingdom extended, announcing the good news that a new king had been appointed for their kingdom. It was kind of good news, mixed news, you know, new kings here. If you rebel, however, we'll kill you. But hey, there's a new king in place. And these messengers were referred to as evangelists. And these evangelists would go out and they would tell all the people living under the reign of the new king that there's a new king in place. There's a new king enthroned. Are you following? Jesus is the new king, not of a specific area, but of the entire world. And this new king, before he left, told his followers, go into all the world in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and announce that there is a new king. We are evangelists. We are to go and tell people that a new king has arrived. A new king has been enthroned and it is good news. And this new king is radically different than any king that has ever reigned or will ever reign again. He makes even his enemies his son or daughter. And it's perfectly displayed within the prodigal son story of Luke 15. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Most of you, if you uh, have been here at Forest Park, you know the story. Others of you are raised in church, you know a little bit of it too. But basically the gist of it is this man has the son who wants his money early. The father gives the son his money. He doesn't want to wait until his father dies. He wants it now. He gives it to him. He goes out. He spends it. He wastes it on wild living. He wastes all the money, comes home broken, comes home messed up, comes home, you know, just broken. And what does the father do? The father throws a party for him and welcomes him home. That is a story Jesus tells to talk about the difference in the kingdom of God versus the other kinds of kingdoms. In God's kingdom, you can go out and sin and mess up and be broken. And when you come home with a repentant heart, God doesn't crucify you. He doesn't torture you. He doesn't use you as an example to all the other people and say, this is what's going to happen to those who rebel. No, you came home with a repentant heart. You came home with a broken heart, and he throws a party for you. It's a different kind of king. This king showers with grace those who rebel those who disgrace his kingdom. He doesn't punish, he doesn't humiliate, he doesn't crucify. He would rather be crucified than to crucify someone else. Other kings and kingdoms are about compliance and aligning yourself to the king's demands and culture and values, whether you want to or not, but not this king, not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is not about punishing you, not about crushing you, not about destroying you, but about winning you and having you sit down at his table and loving you until your heart is changed truly and completely and becomes a reflection of who the king is. God's kingdom is about forming you and shaping you and transforming you into his likeness and his image and molding you into the person who loves and shows the same kind of grace you've been shown. And all of that 
is out of love, knowing that it is the best, not only for you, but for others. God's kingdom is not about a set of rules or principles or ideas, basically a cosmic TED talk. No, 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 no. God's kingdom is about a person, the person of Jesus. There is no physical castle uh, from which he reigns. There is no capital with a white house and an oval office from which he hands down justice. There is no physical throne on which he sits. You can't go to his kingdom. You can't necessarily touch his throne. But God's kingdom is completely and totally other than all the kingdoms of the world. Now, here's a statement that Dr. Treat makes that I think is a huge point, and it's going to pivot in the message right here. Hopefully, I'll do a good job explaining this. Jesus is the kingdom personified. Let me explain. Treat says, when you think of kingdom, we think of location, physical space, geographic boundaries. So when we hear God's kingdom, Here's how I grew up thinking about God's kingdom. And I guarantee you, there are some of you sitting in this room, this is exactly what you think of when you think of God's kingdom. When I was growing up in church, I heard the the phrase God's kingdom. I thought of some heavenly place with like, you know, golden streets and pearly gates and that's his kingdom. And one day he will open the gates and he will say, come into my kingdom and I'll be part of that beautiful kingdom in the clouds. This is not at all what Jesus meant when he talked about God's kingdom. Listen, this is why the disciples missed it so much. They kept thinking of something physical. They kept thinking of something they could touch, something they could grab a hold of. If you remember, there's an argument that the disciples get into, and they want to know who, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, who's going to sit on his left and who's going to sit on his right? They they kept thinking that it was going to be this literal throne that Jesus was going to sit on and he was going to rule over the Romans and he was going to rule over all the other powers of the earth. And they were on the ground level. They were going to come in with Jesus and they were going to reign. Maybe they would get a horse one day. You know, maybe they would get a big sword. Maybe they would be able to kind of ride the horse into towns and say, we are with King Jesus. They kept thinking that these things were physical and that you could touch them, and you could see them, and they were waiting for that kind of kingdom to come to pass. They couldn't see that the kingdom was in front of them in the person of Jesus, and it was breaking through all the time. They kept waiting for a kingdom to come when the kingdom was already there. When you hear kingdom, don't imagine a place in the sky. Don't imagine kingdom as this golden place with pearly gates and all. Don't think of kingdom like that at all. When you hear the word kingdom, God's kingdom, don't imagine a place in the sky. Watch. Think of a person on the ground bringing restoration to a broken, messy world. The miracles Jesus performed was God's kingdom in action. The healings that Jesus gave people did not occur because Jesus was a magician who came to entertain and to market his product, but a king whose kingdom is about healing, whose kingdom is about hope, whose kingdom is about restoration, 
whose kingdom is about deliverance. The miracles are not magic tricks. Watch, they are inbreakings of God's kingdom. Folks, let me bring this right down to where we live. Everything we do here at Forest Park, this is a prayer that I have. This is what I want to see happen more than it's ever happened before. Everything we do here at Forest Park should be about the inbreaking of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God breaking through this earth, this literal world, and the kingdom of God breaking through. Treat points out that in Jesus' day, most people expected the kingdom of God to come at once, like flipping a switch from dark to light. But with Jesus, wherever he went, the kingdom of God was gradually breaking through. Watch, in breaking God's kingdom slowly, gently, effectively, every single time I stand on this stage and I open scripture and we begin to understand more about the gospel, I am part of breaking the kingdom of God through and into your life. Every time we instill values in our students and Preston gets on this stage or meets in community groups with our students and we teach truth and we teach values to our students, we're in breaking God's kingdom into their life. Every time we leave Ecuador and we leave 10, 12, 15 new water filtration systems for the people of the community to come and not have to drink uh, dirty water, not have to drink infested water, but they can drink pure water and clean water and it helps remove the parasites. from. We are in breaking God's kingdom into this world. Every time a community group gets together and new friendships are formed and you have new people you can rely on and, and incur, in breaking of God's kingdom into this world. Every time we pray for one another, every time we meet the needs of one another, every time we take up a special offering, every time we give to Forest Park Weekly or whatever church you attend, Every time we have VBS, as Preston announced a few minutes ago, every time we have an Adore conference and women gather here and we pray for the women and women receive a healing and hope and truth, every time we have food outreach, every Thursday as we give away free food, every time we have summer camp and students gather in, every time Kid Venture is offered on Sunday mornings, I can go through a long, long list. Every single one of those is the kingdom of God breaking through into this world. That's the kingdom of God, and you're a part of it, and I'm a part of it. But sometimes we can't see it. We miss it. It's right in front of us, but we miss it. The G Jesus was right in front of his disciples doing all these things, and they kept saying, hey, when's the kingdom coming? And Jesus was like, it's here. Hey, uh, listen, whenever the kingdom comes, we want to sit on your right side. You know, it's here. Hey, when's this, uh, when's this whole kingdom going to come? It's here. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be able to see it and participate in it. Now, let's go a little deeper here. Treat writes this. He says, Jesus cast out demons. Why? Displaying the power of his reign over the spiritual realm. That's why he did it. He healed the deaf, blind, and lame, showing that God's kingdom restores the fullness of God's creation purposes. He multiplied loaves of bread and fish to feed thousands of people, demonstrated, demonstrating that the king not only provides, but he lavishes with abundance. 
That's why there were 12 basketfuls left over because he doesn't just meet a need, he overmeets a need. Jesus didn't come to make the world a better place. He came to make the world new by grace. Like rays of sun that pierce through the dark clouds, the healings and miracles of Jesus are God's rain breaking in on earth as it is in heaven. Remember when his disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And one of the phrases in the Lord's prayer is what? Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Break through what's going on in your presence. Let it be true here. What's happening in your presence, let it be real in our church. What's happening in your presence, may it be true in my marriage. What's happening in your presence, may it be true in my life. Let it be true on this earth as it already is in your presence. Each miraculous act is a microcosm of what God's power will one day do for the whole universe. That's how big this is, and you and I are a part of it. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus describes God's kingdom. Jesus, tell us, what's your kingdom like? God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. Notice how different that is than how the disciples thought God's kingdom would be. See, a mustard seed is among some of the smallest seeds in all the world. Yet, when it finishes growing, in comparison, it is among some of the biggest trees. That's what God's kingdom's like. It's small, and it slowly grows. Hey, uh, Jesus, tell us, what's God's kingdom like? Okay, God's kingdom is like leaven. What do you mean? It, It gets in the dough and slowly works its way through the dough. In fact, you can walk away from it and come back in a few hours and it has spread its way all through the dough. That's what God's kingdom is like. It's slow. It's methodical. It works even when you're not noticing it, but it changes and affects all things. Hey, God, tell us, Jesus, tell us what God's kingdom is like. God's kingdom is like no other kingdom. I mean, parable after parable after parable when Jesus tells us, he's letting us see that his kingdom is so different than anything you think of when you think of kingdom. Jesus told many parables showing how the kingdom of God is different than anything else in this world. Now, folks, here's what I want to do. I want to kind of pivot right here one, one more time. And hopefully, if I do a good job over the next just few minutes, I'm going to show you how all this kind of comes together in one particular symbol, one particular act, one event, and the kingdom of God is most clearly seen in this particular thing that occurred. But before I do that, let me back up just a little bit. For three years, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. I mean, I've done a very poor job doing so. He did it masterfully for three years. He proclaimed the kingdom. For three years, Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. 
opening blinded eyes, raising the dead, breaking bread and feeding the multitudes, touching lepers, <clears throat> doing all these different things, doing miraculous things to show what the kingdom of God is like. He talked about leaven. He talked about the mustard seed. He talked about parable after parable, showing the disciples what the kingdom of God was like. For three years, he proclaimed the kingdom. For three years, he demonstrated the kingdom. For three years, he inspired people to join the kingdom. For three years, he promised the kingdom. Then he was killed. And his followers were crushed. What happened? Where's the kingdom? Wouldn't you have felt that way? Come on, wouldn't you have felt that? I would have. I mean, come on, Jesus, I, I, left, I left fishing. I left my parents. I, I've given everything to you. I've been following you, sleeping beside you, listening to everything you've... I've been holding on to every single teaching. I've been hoping for this kingdom to come. I've been trying my best to wrap my mind around this kingdom. And you said you were going to bring this kingdom to pass. And, 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 and those who would repent and come to you could be part of the kingdom. And, and, and now he's sealed in, in a tomb. And this is what they couldn't see. And this is what we often can't see. His kingdom was most clearly revealed where his disciples thought his kingdom was most certainly destroyed. Where? The cross. There is no greater revelation of the character and heart of God and what his kingdom is about than the cross. The cross is the revelation of God. It is who God is it is the clearest and most unpolluted view through which we see God in his purest form, Jesus on the cross. Now, let's go a little deep. I was in the sec first service. I was thinking, man, this is kind of deep for, for a Sunday morning. So I'm just warning you before we get into it, okay? I want you to see this. This is so beautiful to me. The gospel writer Mark just paints this this imagery so beautifully, and hopefully you'll see it the way that I'm starting to see it, and we'll go out of here with a whole different view on what the kingdom is like, and the king, and the throne, and all these different things, and why the disciples missed it, and why we often do too. Watch this. The crucifixion scene is filled with royal imagery. Jesus is given a purple robe a scepter in his hand, and a crown of thorns on his head. See, they thought they were mocking him, ridiculing him, making fun of him, increasing his pain. They had no idea that they were playing into painting the most beautiful picture of what a throne and a king looks like in God's kingdom. Even as he hangs on the cross, the sign above his head reads, the king of the Jews. Mark is showing through irony that the one mocked as king truly is king, but he's a different kind of king. The onlookers ridicule Jesus saying, save yourself and come down from the cross. Yet Jesus revealed his kingship not by coming down from the cross to save himself, but by staying on the cross 
to save others. The cross is the greatest display of Christ's reign as power controlled by love. The cross is the throne from which the true king reigns. It's a completely different kind of kingdom than any of us imagine or think about. You, you want to know who God is and what his kingdom is about? Look at the cross. You, you want to know what his kingdom and how his kingdom functions? Look at the cross. You want to know what it means to follow him? Look at the cross. It's all in the cross. And he told the disciples that, but they couldn't see it. And see, some of us are going to walk out of here today, and we're not going to see it. Others of us will walk out of here today, and we will see it. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago at Easter Sunday, and I know you all were here, and you all remember the message, and you all remember, I don't even have, I don't even, just forgive me for being indulgent to remind you of maybe one thing. But we talked about the glasses we put on. All of us look through glasses. Jesus was constantly trying to give the disciples a pair of glasses through which they could see the kingdom in action all around them, but they missed it. They missed it. They wanted to follow him, and Jesus one day told him, said, you want to follow me? Yeah. Mark, you want to follow me? John, you want to follow me? Peter, you want to follow me? Yes, of course. Of course we want to follow you. We, we want to be part of the kingdom. We, we want to be part of this. We want to be part of this great kingdom that God is going to bring to pass. Okay, you, you want to follow me? Yeah, yeah, okay. Listen, here's how you follow me, okay? You deny yourself. You take up the throne, the cross, and you follow me. You, you want to be on my right side, my left? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, who was on his left and right? Thieves. You want to be there? You, you, you want to have power? want to have power. We want to be part of a kingdom that has power. You, you want to, let, me tell you what, let me tell you what happens in my kingdom when you have all power and all authority. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, knowing that he had all power and all authority had been given to him, he takes a towel, he wraps it around his waist, and he washes feet. That's my kingdom. Let me tell you what you do when you have all power and all authority at your disposal because the scripture tells us that he could have called legions of angels to remove him from the cross. But he had all that power and what does he do? Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. That's his kingdom. That's why they couldn't see it. That wasn't what they were expecting. That's not the kind of kingdom they wanted to be a part of. And I, and I, and I fear that so many of us sitting in church Sunday after Sunday, we don't understand what the kingdom of God is about. That's why we still fight with one another. It's why we can't let passive aggressive comments on Facebook go. It's why we get mad at one another in traffic. I, I do it. <laughs> I'm not throwing rocks at you. Trust me. But we, we don't see the kingdom. We don't see the kingdom. We still operate by the world's power and the world's kingdom. You do to me, I'm going to do to you. You cut me off, I'll cut you off. It's the world's kingdom, not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, right before he's crucified, sits down with one of the people who will betray him and has a meal. Breaks bread 
passes the juice around, the wine, and celebrates. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. God's kingdom is cross-shaped. And this cross-shaped kingdom provides a framework for those who follow Christ. You want to know, you want to follow God? This is what it means, the cross. But the cross is not the final answer. Last thing I'm going to say today, last thing I'm going to say today, the cross is not the final answer. We have a resurrecting king. Now, folks, let me just speak, let me just speak about resurrection for just a moment, okay? That's funny. I'm going to talk about the resurrection for just a moment. I'll give you everything you need to know about the resurrection in just a moment, okay? A few brief comments, because I want you to see it differently than maybe you've seen it before. Many of us have a misunderstanding about the resurrection. And I had this for a long time, okay? So again, not throwing rocks. A common belief, and I, I hear this in songs, and I see this in dramas and Easter plays, a common understanding of the, of the resurrection is this. Jesus died and was buried, and the angels were sad. And heaven was somewhat depressed. And hell thought it won. But Jesus pulled off a victory at the very end. When nobody expected it, he threw a Hail Mary pass and was caught one yard from the end zone. Triple overtime, he makes a three-point shot, and they win the game, and hell is defeated, and the angels rejoice. That is completely and totally wrong. Sounds good. Gets us excited. Totally wrong. I've seen it where when Jesus was resurrected, the devil's confused. He's like, I don't know what happened. I, th I thought we had him sealed, and, you know, he was dead, and we kicked him in the side, you know, and we did all these things to him, and he still came out of the tomb. And all of heaven rejoiced when he got up because they didn't know what was going to happen. Creating this feeling of the resurrecting or the resurrection kind of being like God's last trick, kind of like an ace up his sleeve. You know, Satan plays his hand and he's like, boom. And then Jesus stands up and goes, oh yeah, well, boom, you know. And it's like, wow, we won, you know. The resurrection was always God's plan. And he told his disciples that, but they couldn't see it. They're going to kill me. But in three days, I'm going to come up. Come back. Like Jonah, who's in the whale. Be back. Tear this body down. Tear this temple down. Be back. My kingdom is totally different than anything you can ever imagine. He was launching a kingdom, not of this world. His throne would not be covered in gold, but blood. His display of power would not be a diamond scepter, but a towel wrapped around his waist, washing feet. When he had all of heaven at his disposal, he forgave rather than retaliate. He would reign beyond and above all of the rulers and all other powers that be bringing his kingdom to this earth and leading it through was always his plan. And the resurrection was always a part. His kingdom is above flesh and blood, beyond bone and dirt, 
above a golden throne, above a diamond scepter. He rules through love. He dispenses grace. He elevates the lowly. He brings justice to the oppressed. He brings the powerful down and the defeated up. And his kingdom will never end. And not even death will hold him down. He is an unmatched king leading an unmatchable kingdom and we are a part. That's why it's good news. And Jesus said, go into all the world and tell people. Tell them I'm on the throne. Tell them I hold the power. Tell them this kingdom will never, ever, ever fade away. Not even death, not even a tomb will hold me down. And you and I are apart. That's good news. It's so much bigger than have you been in church the last few weeks. It's so much bigger than, did you have your devotions today? It's so much bigger than, did you tithe? It's so much bigger than, are you able to defeat that temptation? It's so much bigger than that stuff. Well, now if you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you going to say? Well, I'm going to say that I prayed a prayer and then he'll let me in. It's so much bigger than that. And I got to stop before the kids are like, when is he going to shut up? Let me pray. Father, I pray as the apostle Paul prayed, open the eyes of our heart. Help us see. There are people sitting in this room, there are people watching online that we, we, we don't see. We're blind. We can't see. And as Paul was locked away for three days and the scales come off his eyes and he sees the gospel, God, I pray that you will peel the scales back. Peel the scales back that we might see. See a kingdom that is alive and well. See a kingdom that is spread around this world. See a kingdom that is alive right now, even as we talk. Alive in other parts of this world. Alive in other countries. And people are gathered around trees. And they're gathered in cathedrals. And they're gathered in small churches and large churches. And they're gathered in their homes. They're gathered in hospital rooms and nursing homes. They're gathered everywhere. Your kingdom is alive. And we are part of it. And it will never, ever, 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 ever fade for we are part of the only thing that will last. My God, let that rejuvenate us. Let that refresh us. Let that set our heart and our mind free and we walk out of this place today filled with the knowledge, filled with the truth. The truth will set us free. May we walk out of here rejoicing that we are part of God's wonderful, beautiful, powerful, incredible kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make my way to the new here area. If you're new here today and you want to talk with me or ask questions, I'd love to meet you. Say, preacher, I've been listening to you for a long time. I'm out of here. That's fine too. You don't have to stop. But I'd love to meet you if I can get a chance. We'll see you later. Have a good day.